0: In today's edition of the offseason breakdowns, we tackle the newest kids on the block, the Stanley Cup champions from two years ago trying to get back on track, the current and defending Stanley Cup champions, and a team that hasn't won the Stanley Cup since 1967. But first, we take a look at some major RFA signings. Episode 287 of the Lace Up podcast starts right now. Now, it's time
1: to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve.
0: And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth.
1: I'm Brett Dubuff.
0: We will continue our off-season breakdown shortly. We're at part 7 of 8, if you can believe it. We're know, almost done. And then uh, we'll be doing our uh, season project- uh, projections, projections, predictions, whatever you yeah. want to call them. It's going to be a fun show, so that'll be on the uh, second Sunday of October. Uh, which would be Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada, and that'll be a few days before the season starts. But we have a lot to get to first. and uh, the first item on our agenda, Brett, uh, it's gonna be talking about uh, dalla dollar bill Carll getting a lot of dollar dollar bills.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, first off, it is it is crazy that we've been doing this. This is our seventh time here. and I, as you did the lead into the show, it's like, kind of cool we have like a, a, a bit of an interesting foursome here where we have we're talking about like the uh the back-to-back stanley cup winners the team that um so in the tampa bay lighting and then we have the team that won just before that um in the st louis blues and then we have the toronto maple Leafs, who haven't won since a very very long time 1967 to be in fact um and then, um, and then we have like the brand new team, so it's like almost we have like a it's just a bunch of different um, options here, which is which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, so so yeah, we're gonna start off with uh, Kirill Kaprizov. He finally um, he finally gets signed. I think there was kind of some rumors a couple of weeks ago that um, that like uh, he was going, he might have signed with the CSKA Moscow, which was his, um, his KHL team back in the days. And there was like, uh, like kind of not a, not really a threat, but like there was speculation that he might do that just to, you know, to see his options. But then like the deadline pass where I think the KHL has already started, so, um and Caprice. Yeah, and, and didn't the team like, it.
0: itself uh, was pretty vocal saying, Yeah, he won't be playing for us this year. Right, so that right. was a red flag for the KHL yeah. that they weren't gonna get Caprice and Minnesota collectively breathed the side for just like, okay, we don't have to worry about that, we just need to get him.
1: Yeah, and then um and then it was yeah, I, I think we all figured that like, okay, like why would he go back to the KHL he just had like the the best one of the best seasons a you know, a rookie could have um, he won the Calder. You would think that he would want to stay here. So then it just it just showed that those were just speculations. But maybe he just used that as like a like a trade trip, like you know, like hey, I could go to the KHL and get paid a lot of money. Um, and then um, and then there was like almost like right after that um, when like it, like the deadline passed for the KHL, um, he there was speculation that he was going to get nine million per year. For five years, and that's actually what the contract ended up being: five years for nine million per. um, I think we've talked about it before, but I think it's like, you know, like I'm still a little bit wary just because of the fact that you know this is, um, you know, this is just his one year of him in the league, and we don't know how consistent he can be. Also, in the fact that like he was playing against the California teams, Arizona. And like a bunch of other teams that weren't so good, um, so then, um, so then you start to wonder like, okay, how can he actually play against like actually good teams? Um, and and we still don't know. However, uh, Kaprizov is twenty four years old, and he, he's not your normal um, NHLer or rookie because he's been playing in the KHL, which is a professional hockey league, for, uh, for a couple of years before then. So it's like, you know, so th- at the same time, like, yeah, I-, I could see it, like, not working out for them. But at the same time, the Wild need this, this guy. <laughs> like, um, you know, the Wild haven't been exciting, um, I don't think ever. They've never been exciting, really. Um, and, um, you know, Kaprizov was, like, before Kaprizov joined the team, uh, the Wild were thinking of, like, rebuilding for a few more years and all that stuff. And then when Kaprizov comes in, all of a sudden they're, like, you know, they're buying out Zaprize, they're buying out Ryan Suter so that they can make room. Um, and then they're, you know, it looks like they're, they're starting to compete a little bit more just simply because they have this guy, Kirill Kaprizov, Who can they can then build their team around? So, um, so yeah, it's it's still um, I still think it's a risky contract, but at the same time, I could see this really working out for them.
0: It's a risky contract because you know it's one season, right? But you look at everything he's done prior to this, um, his role on the Russian team, uh, his roles in the KHL and the dynamic seasons that he had before he came over here and like he was in his early 20s then you don't see too many players in their early 20s dominate the way he dominated the KHL and then of course it has to translate into the NHL because we've seen with guys like Badam Chipachev and Nikita Gusev that it doesn't always go in the way that you expected to where you just keep on trucking along and Kirill Kaprizov just kept on trucking along. He became such a dynamic force. As I've said many times, the Minnesota wilds, how we think of them, how we watch them, everything changed when he arrived. He changes the dynamic of this team's offense. Uh, you look at the, some of the guys that he's played with and, uh, how they benefited from his performances on the ice, it, it just made perfect sense for them to get this done. And by the end of this deal, I I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's on the same level as Artemi Panarin. Like, that kind of a dynamic offensive player. And I'm really intrigued to see what uh, he's going to do in the next couple of years. Uh, particularly, this year is going to be an important one for the Minnesota Wild, because believe it or not, Kaprizov's... 9 million cap hit it's not 9 million this year it's actually five but then you pay for it later because in year two and year four it's 10 million and in year three it's 12.5 and then it shoots down to 7.5 in his final year and as of the start of year four he's got a no move clause so the final two years he's got a no move clause takes him right to free agency so yeah, they don't have to worry about the Paris saint Suter contract, but the financial implications of the Soft contract as of next year are going to be felt on Minnesota's uh, roster as a whole. And what they do to that roster and how they assemble it, they're going to have to be some more tough decisions made by Billy Guerin moving forward. So the other question I have is, okay, they've got Kaprizov signed. Now what do they do? Are they going to add some short-term pieces to, like, really, really go for it this year? Maybe they're back in the Jack Eichel sweepstakes. Who really knows? Now that they have Kaprizov guaranteed in the fold, you have him for the next five years. I wouldn't have made a trade for Jack Eichel unless I knew that Kaprizov was still in the picture. Now that I know Kaprizov is still in the picture, I still don't think it's a slam dunk they get Jack Eichel. But it's certainly a better than 0% chance. So, um... Minnesota needed to get this done. They needed to make it happen. They needed to sign him to a long-term deal. I don't think they would have gotten a seven-year or eight-year given what Kaprizov thinks he's worth and that in, like, five or six years, he would probably be worth more than $9 million. So he's betting on himself a little bit here. But I think this is a good compromise. i um, fairly confident that both sides would get it done. Um, and it's huge for the franchise that he was able to stay there.
1: Uh, so the Wild actually have uh, 2.3 million, 2. million left in cap space. So I don't think, if they're going to get uh, Eichel, I think like they're going to have to make some moves, <laughs> further moves. to. Oh, there's no question. That, so
0: I, I didn't I say it would be easy that. for them yeah. to get Jack Eichel, but the fact that they have Kaprizov in the mix um, it's worth making that move. Oh, yeah, yeah If you course. have to move out some lesser roster names to make it happen, then, yeah, that's fine. You're expected to do that for Jack Eichel. The price tag's going to be very
1: high. Right, right, right. Of course. I, I was just saying that in terms of, like, cap space stuff, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah, I guess it is definitely possible for sure. Um, okay. Um, and then the other one that we wanted to talk about, speaking of Eichel, uh, <laughs> is uh, Rasmus Darlene he signs a three-year deal worth six million dollars here um yeah i mean this was you know it's (laughs) i feel like the sabers are a tire fire um and um but like at least they have something going with rasmus dahlin he's kind of hasn't been as good as we expected him to be but at the same time like defensemen take a while to truly develop into what we expect them to be like You know it it really was like last year Aaron Eckblad was finally who we thought he was and he's been and he's been in the league for like five years so um or six years basically so it's um it will take some time for him and um I guess that's the good news but at the same time it's like oh um you know like what's he doing you better not like waste his space kind of thing um yeah, so I, I I don't hate it. Six million for three more years, just to see what you have. And at the end of that contract, he's still an RFA, so um, that's also kind of a cool little thing too. Is that like you can see what you have with him, and you could potentially trade him at at the end there too if you really if you really want to. I'm sure teams will even even if he sucks like <laughs> the next three years. I th- I'm sure teams will still be interested in that. So, um, yep. Yeah. I find it funny that
0: um, we're looking at the Buffalo Sabres and this guy that was taken first overall in 2018 is just like, I can see him maybe getting moved in a couple of years if things don't work out. (laughs) It's just like... The face of your team is just like, what? What? You're, you're thinking about trading him? Not just Jack Eichel, trading him? Yeah,
1: like, no, no, that's a good point. I, I guess, you
0: need to have some sort of future plans. Right, right of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah need to put, you, you need to give people some incentive to come. I, to I guess I'm
1: just saying is that, like, yeah, he's still 21 and stuff, but, like, let's say he, do, he isn't good. Like, he isn't as good as expected in those three years. Then it's like, okay, maybe you do start to tra- you think about trading him, but. But yeah, you're right. So <laughs> maybe it's a little bit too premature for that.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, now, now there are some asterisks here. Let's
0: take a look at year one. He gets 44 points, 35 of those are assists in 82 games. That's a pretty good rookie season. Then he gets 40 in 59 games, 36 of those are assists. Pretty darn good. Pretty darn good second season. Many people expect the old sophomore slump to catch up to Dowling. Didn't really happen. And uh, he played reasonably well in year two. Sophomore slump did hit him in year three. But you know what? I think everyone on Buffalo had a sophomore slump last year because the team was not that. So to finish 23 points in 56 games, 18 assists, in a season where everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong for Buffalo, that's still, in an in 82-game a pace, that's around 33 points, which I would call a success for Rasmus Daly. And anyone on that Sabres blue line. So, and the other thing to keep in mind with Rasmus Dahlin is his second half was much better than his first. Uh, I liked where he was progressing with uh, Granado as uh, the head coach there. Um, so, my, so my hope is that he will be better. Um, I don't know if it's going to show stat wise because I think this year's going to somehow be even worse than last year. Right. Um, Now that you don't have Allmark, now that you don't have Reinhardt and Ristole and all those guys. But I think you'll start to see him take on more defensive responsibilities in all situations. And I think at times you're really going to start to see Rasmus Dowling flourish. Uh, I still think the plus minus is going to be rough for the next little bit. But I think offensively he'll be around 40 to 50 points a year again.
1: Yeah, I I could see that uh, for sure. And it's, it's just tough to really know because the Sabres are not going to be good. Um, but yeah, it's you're right. Um, and then I, I guess the this the surprise of the century um, speaking of the Sabres being a tire fire. Uh, Jack Eichel is removed of captaincy. Um he has not I, I mean, I guess the, he hasn't returned to practice for obvious reasons because he's still in a fight with the team. Um,
0: well, he failed his physical, first yeah, of all, so too. he's on injured reserve.
1: Right, right, right. So that's another thing, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was so surprising that he's, like, um, that they removed his captaincy. I guess it's just, like, because we all saw it coming, especially when Jack Eichel, like, wrote that or his agent wrote that whole, like, memo right after the draft expecting to be traded, um, and uh, he didn't. So it's like, okay, yeah, the Sabres were probably not, like, you don't, you don't want your captain to be someone who, who doesn't want to be there. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's, it's just uh, it's kind of just a sad state of affairs out in Buffalo where, like, you know, it's been, like, about even longer than 10 years since the Sabres have actually been decent. Um, and and that's a long time. It's it's uh, kind of um, so sad that like they were already on a rebuild, um, and now and now it seems like they're they're back on doing a rebuild, and they're just they're they're even worse than what they were beforehand, and they were pretty bad before. So it's it's kind of sad. sad. It'll be a situation where I
0: think they go a couple of years without naming a team captain because yep. they have no one. Really established NHL-wise to be the long-term captain of this team. Uh, I if they, I think they'll go by assistant captain by committee. I think they'll lean on like Kyle Loposo yep. as more of a leadership voice there. But like the the worst thing they can do is give a young Dylan Cousins the captaincy right. and just
1: ruin him. Right, like, or even you know, like Middlestadt, that, stat, that yep. would be bad. Yeah, or even like someone like Middlestad, even though he had a decent last half of the year, it's like oh, it's. Um, still, um, you know, you, you, you don't want to do that. But, like we were just talking about, maybe they give uh, Darlene the captain's lead, but maybe they wait a, a little bit before before they actually Yeah, do. I would
0: wait a couple more seasons and see how his yeah. game matures. And, and I can definitely see if he raises his game um, and continues to exceed expectations at the end of two years that it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that he is named captain. The reason I mentioned Dylan Cousins as a guy that maybe could be someday the Sabers' captain is because even when things are not going well, oh yeah, he'd be willing to drop the gloves.
1: I remember it. Yeah, I think and, I mentioned like, that And put up too. a fight. Yep.
0: And like for a rookie or a second-year guy to do that on a team like Buffalo, uh, that that says a lot. It shows a lot of character when you do stuff like that. Yeah, so that's that's dark. that's why Dylan Cousins really sticks out to me from a leadership standpoint is because he's he's answered the bell in many different ways he just needs to put his the rest of his game together basically
1: right right i, re- I remember when that um when that happened and we talked about it it's just like that's how like sad it was is that the only one who seemed to really care about the team was dylan cousins and he's a rookie <laughs> it's just like um yeah. so, it, so it's just uh yeah but yeah I, I could see that for sure too i i guess but Maybe it's something to think about sometime down, down the line for sure. All right. So now we're going to go to Seattle. Um, and so what's funny is is when we've been doing these little like um, ads, subtractions and resignings and, and all that stuff, it's like technically Seattle um, added everyone. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but we're only going to, for Seattle... We're just gonna make an exception to that where we're just talking about after the expansion draft, so right when free agents started, because that's when we started to like you know do this. So that's when we're gonna do all the, ad, the free agent ads. Um, we're gonna count for Seattle, and all their subtractions we're also gonna count as well. Um, so um, in terms of ads, uh, we did talk about Philip Grubauer, who they got, and he's probably gonna be their starting goaltender. Alex Wenberg, which was a nice, nice grab for them, especially since they seem to, they'll they seem to be weak on center. Um, and also it looks like Yanni Gord's going to be out for half the year um, uh, due to injury. And then they also grabbed Jaden Schwartz. Um, so those three we've already talked about. The other uh, free agents that they also grabbed um, are Marcus Johansson, Ryan Donato, and Riley Sheehan. Um, It seems like, you know, these guys will probably be more depth ads and and things like that. But um, those are, you know, especially for Johansson and Donato, those guys seem to be like, you know, they seem to have a little like every now and then they they do something, they score or something like that. So um, so they, they, you know, yeah, they have some issues with inconsistency. For all three of those guys, but I don't hate those moves just as like a depth piece because they'll probably be your third line or fourth line guys. Um, and and that's that's kind of like a, a good thing that you want for an expansion team like this. It's like just guys to who could excel if given more ice time and, and we'll see what they do.
0: Yeah, and... Like you said, Brett, they're signings at dirt cheap prices. Yep. Like, you got guys like Ryan Donato signing for what? Like the league minimum? Yeah, it
1: was the league minimum.
0: And like he was a couple of years ago in the second half of Minnesota, a big part of yep. that Minnesota wild offense. So, yep. like, there, there's there's definitely a lot to look forward to. I, I like Marcus Johansson as, as a guy that could be a potential second-line center. Uh, worst case, he's a third-line center again. Getting him at the price you've got him at, that's huge. Um, even Gustav Olofsson as a depth defenseman, that that definitely doesn't hurt but, either. Uh, Riley Sheehan, a, another depth center option, that's pretty good as well. And um, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the lineup here. I'm just going to take a look at Daily Faceoff and see where some of those depth options uh, fit in for the Seattle Kraken. Because... I I do find it very interesting, um, as we talked about in the Seattle episode, how this team is going to be constructed, what the line combinations are going to look like. Um, Because as many of you know, they're in what I like to call the Box of Chocolates Division, where you really don't know what you're going to get out of the Pacific Division. Um, So this is a team, honestly, not not even kidding, this is a team that could surprise a lot of people. and I know I'm probably basing a lot of what's happened to um, Vegas in 2017-18 and thinking, like, oh, yeah, they're it can't happen with Seattle. Well, I'm not saying they're going to go to the finals or win a playoff round, but I definitely think they're going to be competitive in a division where a lot of things are very wide open. Like, I'm not even saying they're going to win the division like Vegas yep. did, but they'll definitely be contending. And and this is why um, you have you have guys like Ryan Donato right now. He's on a third line with Morgan Geeky as a third line center and Jonas Donskoy as the right wing option. And that's according to, like I said, Daily Faceoff. The latest update was September twenty third. So this is probably the earliest uh, training camp looked, uh that we've gotten from this team. Bradley Sheehan, the fourth line, center with Brandon Tanev as the left winger and Colin Blackwell on the right side. And we'll, of course, talk about everyone else in a little bit. Um, On the second line, you have Kali Yarncroke as the left winger, Mason Appleton on the right side, and Alex Wenberg centering that line with the top line consisting of Jared McCann centering, Jaden Schwartz on the left side, and Jordan Everly on the right. It might not look like the sexiest offense that you've ever seen, but definitely not the worst yeah. out of a lot of the teams in that division it's it's very underrated i would say
1: yeah for sure i mean yeah you have all the california teams in there like yeah they could surprise any one of those teams but uh, but yeah you're right like i think they do have the benefit of being in a poor division and that could lead them to to be making the playoffs uh, because like you know, three of those teams make it, and, and it's definitely possible for them to do so. Because um, it's pretty much just Vegas and Edmonton who are probably going to be the the best teams, and then the rest, it's like who knows. So so yeah, I agree with that. Um, I also wanted to mention that, because uh, I just pulled it up, that t- uh, Ryan Donato had 20 points in 50 games for the Sharks last year, so it wasn't just the last half of mm-hmm. for Minnesota uh, for him, and he also had like a decent run in uh, Boston, or actually, oh, no, you never, or his first year in the league when he was 21, he had 9 points in 12 games for Boston, but he um, but yeah, so it's like it's it's not like terrible and things like that, and you also have to like note that he had twenty points in fifty games with twelve minutes of ice time for San Jose. Yeah. So it's like, wow, that that's um that's pretty good actually in a way. So, um yeah, we'll we'll see what he's able to do if even if they do give him some more ice time, that's also definitely possible. Um, and with
0: Gord out of the lineup, uh, you could easily get that in the first half. So oh yeah, for the, sure. The first. Thirty to forty games will be huge
1: for them. Yeah, and I know that you listed the the depth charts and stuff, but like it's really, really, really hard to know for sure until we see um, them play. Um, and like, mm-hmm. I mean, they 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 are playing preseason games right now, so I guess we'll get a good sense of what they're going to do. But yeah, that that was um, that's for sure something that's kind of interesting to see and uh, something we'll we'll pay attention to for sure. Um, and then in terms of subtractions. Uh, They ended up getting a a Vitek Vanacek, or they traded away Vitek Vanacek back to Washington, um, and they got a 2023 uh, second-round pick, which isn't bad. Um, They also traded away Curtis McDermott to the Colorado Avalanche, and they got a 2023 fourth-round pick. Um, And then then Tyler Pitlick's another one who they traded to Calgary, um, and they got a 2022 fourth-round pick. So they, they they made those kind of deals to trade and um, and just get picks back. Um, it was something that we thought that there would be more of from Seattle, but I guess they aren't going to do that. But um, like the, like you said, you never really know with this team. It's it's very possible that Seattle just will um, continue to to be that. Um, you know, will could could actually end up making the playoffs just simply because they're in a bad division. So. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um,
0: and even, even if they don't make the playoffs, it's not like they're in a situation of like the San Jose Sharks, where like they have a bunch of term and, and money attached to these guys. You look a lot at a lot of their forwards. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven forwards uh, currently on their NHL depth chart with a year left on their deals. Uh, of those names. There are three RFAs and there are four UFAs. And the only ones with more than two years on their deals are Jordan Eberle, who has three left, Jaden Schwartz, who they signed, so he has five years, Yanni Gourd, who has four, Alex Wenberg has three, they signed him in free agency as well, uh, and Brandon Tanev, uh, who has four years left. So like, there's a lot of room for them to grow in future off seasons. And right now, as it stands, they've got like 8.3 million in cap space. Yes. So there, there's a lot of room to improve upon their roster moving forward. They're not cash
1: strapped. I wonder if like, they could afford Jack Eichel. I, don't, I know that <laughs> Jack Eichel probably doesn't want to go there, but it is you know they do have eight million. They they are looking for a center. I, that could that could happen. It, it would funny. be an
0: interesting change of scenery, and I yeah. don't think Jack Eichel would be, like, opposed to it. I think there are parts of uh, the Seattle Kraken's run that could be intriguing yeah, to him, but sure. I think you would probably need to see um, the team itself perform for at least, like, 30 to 40 games before he really makes up his mind of, yeah. okay, this could work. And right. Seattle knows full well that, like, they need to be – very very certain that jack eichel is the right fit because again that no move clause kicks in july 1st 2022 and then they're basically they're basic jack eichel is basically their master at that point like they he controls his own destiny so it as a young expansion team in year one i it would definitely be the biggest gamble they can make is trading is Making
1: a trade to get Jack That uh, Yeah, that's true. I I was kind of saying that as a joke because I just saw their cap space and it's like, oh, they could theoretically make a deal. They they're looking, they're probably looking yeah. for a center, but but yeah, they they probably won't. do Just
0: that. because they can doesn't
1: always mean they should. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, for sure. Um, and then um, in ter- because uh, in terms of re signings, um, technically Seattle doesn't really have re signings, but. I do want to mention that uh, they, because uh, when they drafted Vince Dunn, he was an RFA at the time, so they did sign him to a two-year deal worth uh, $4 million per, um, and that, that could be an interesting deal. I would assume that Mark Giordano is going to be the main defenseman for them, but I wouldn't be surprised if Vince Dunn slowly becomes that Shea Theodore type person to make a comparison to Vegas where like he he does become that guy because he has uh, space in a on a new team. So um I could definitely see Vince Dunn having like a shade theater or type of um uh, career. Um Anyways, I don't know if you have anything on Shea, on, on Dunn, but just thought Yeah, we,
0: when it. we talked about the Seattle episode, I think we're on the same page that if there's anyone on Seattle that could fit that Shay Theodore type of mold, Vince Dunn yep. is definitely the most likely choice. Uh, there are also some other names that, that I looked on uh, Seattle's defense. I thought, you know, this guy's pretty underrated. It, it would be interesting uh, to see him play in the NHL full-time and see if he could have a good year. Um, I think just based on NHL experience to date, um, the main guy that could make that work and make that next big leap would probably be Dunn. Um, I don't think Dennis Chalowski has the experience, nor does someone like Cale Fleury, to make that happen at least right away. Maybe someday they could. Um, but but Vince Dunn um, is is a guy that's similar to Ryan Donato, didn't really get the... Uh, opportunity to thrive yep. in in the main stage in markets like San Jose, um, but I think in this situation you definitely could.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, in terms of prospects, um, because they've only had one draft, I guess they did uh, select a couple of prospects in the draft, like Cole Lind and things like that. But they don't really have too many prospects to start out because it's basically just this one year. But, uh, so our best prospect is a guy we've already talked about a lot, uh, Matty Beniers. What I find is is interesting is, um, in years past, you could, um, Elite Prospects has his name as Matthew Beniers, but now um, his profile has changed to Matty Beniers, so that's, I guess, he goes by Matty instead of Matthew, um, which I think is kind of of cool. Um, He's also on that University of Michigan stack team. Um, he had 24 points in 24 games this past year. Um, and then he also contributed to a pretty na- good line on the World Juniors where he had three points um, in seven games for the... I, I, I'm going to keep on reminding you, Steve, but um, uh, the, the U.S. team that won the gold medal. So uh, so he knows, like... Um, so maybe, like, Seattle, if worse comes to worst, Seattle will be, like, uh, like bad for a couple, few more years, but um, at least he has a gold medal in his pocket and um, something that he can, he'll remember for the rest of his life, I'm sure. Um, and then it, it looks like he's going to go back to the University of Michigan. Um, the thing that's interesting, and I remember back when the draft happened, and, you know, even, like, prep and stuff, was that, like, he, um, you know, like, people thought that, you know he should be a pretty good center in the league. Um, he's he's a good like two way forward. He he does face offs well, and he has um, he has a good like take away give away ratio as well. But um, but like people weren't sure of like his offense to come. But at the same time, like one um, he had he was a point per game. Um, in Michigan, which isn't, which you know, it's not like an easy thing to do, and secondly, um, you know, he's going to be on Seattle, and if, if Seattle doesn't make a Jack Eichel trade or something like that, he's probably going to be a top line center for them um, eventually. Uh, maybe not, probably not this year because he is going to back, but um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely I could see where like you know next year he's going to be. Um, in the league and um, and could be like the top line center or could be a uh, second line center just uh, to uh, develop some more or something like that. But he would eventually could be the, the first line center um, in a few years.
0: It's yeah, taking a look at uh, some of his uh, numbers, as you mentioned, the World Junior success, uh, three points in seven games is pretty good. But also the two points in six games at the World Championships which is a tournament uh, filled with men, not just teenagers. Um, that's not easy to do to establish yourself to the point where like, yeah, you you can play amongst, um, NHL caliber talents on, on the biggest stage like that the world championships are not the Olympics, but like they're, they're pretty darn close to it where you're facing off against a lot of hockey's best talents. Um, across various countries so that's huge for him Uh, the 24 points in 24 games and 10 goals done as a rookie so forget point per game college players you don't see too many point per game college rookies doing what he did last year and now you look at that stacked michigan team um i think it's going to be a situation this year where like everyone remembers Cole caulfield as this guy is just like man this guy's this guy's got some goal-scoring skill. Uh, he's going to be a pretty good player in the NHL someday. And then he takes off, becomes probably the biggest player in college hockey, and just keeps on rolling after he leaves college. I'm not saying that like after year two, Manny Beniers is going to turn pro. What I am going to say, and I feel comfortable in saying this right now, is he's probably going to be a top five college player to watch and the stats are going to back it up. He's going to be that good, that dynamic for the University of Michigan. And when you look at the profile, it's easy to see why. Not only is he a guy that's very deceptive and can really fool defenders with his wide array of brush patterns, the different methods he's able to accelerate his dynamic game-changing plays, but he's also involved in his team's defensive game. A guy that never cheats, that wants to be a solid two-way contributor, that is something NHL teams look at and say, oh, very good at two-way play? We love to see that. You don't see too many highly skilled players uh, these days really focusing on the defensive side of the game. Like, say, I don't know, someone like Mark Stone with the Vegas Golden Knights, and I keep mentioning it, um, but he is one of the best two-way players in the league, and that puts him in the upper echelon of NHL talent right away, not because like he can score at a rate like Artemi Panarin, but because his attention to detail on defense and offense are so high and so good that they really affect how his team performs on a nightly basis. It's the same with Sean Couturier. It's the same with Ryan O'Reilly. And we've seen guys like that really elevate their play in the playoffs to the point where they're being talked about as one of the league's best all-around players. And, that's, um, and before um, those guys made their livings uh, as two-way specialists, Patrice Bergeron did that year in, year out, and is still doing it as well. So I, I think um, as a top three pick, when you have that type of two-way defensive game... That just instantly makes you um, a better prospect. It makes you stick out above the rest because that two way game is so important.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point. All right, uh, Riker Evans is going to be our wild card uh, pick uh, for prospects. Um, he was actually their second round pick um, when when this was this was interesting because I feel like I've been following the draft. Um, for a while now and I you know I, I knew a bit about all these different prospects and stuff. And then when this guy got draft, I was excited to see what Seattle would do for their second pick. and then I find out that it's, oh, it's this Riker Evans guy, and I've never actually heard of him. And a, good, a big reason why that is is that he's an overager, um, he, which means is that he was eligible to draft to be drafted last year, but no one picked him. Um, and then he was uh, able to go again. So, but then when you like, look at his roster or like his elite prospects page, you notice that like, he had... Um, so the year before that, his dra- his, technically his draft year, his first draft year, um, uh, he had 31 points in 63 games for the Regina Pats of the WHL. And then um, the next year, or this, this upcoming year, uh, he had 28 points in 24 games for Regina Pats, so that means that he's like more like he came from having like almost a half a point per game to to being a more more than point per one point per game. Uh, I, I think I said that right. Um, and and it's impressive considering that he's a defenseman and something like that. So uh, we were just talking about Vince Dunn, and I'm sure um, eventually uh, Mark Giordano is going to be the guy. Um, or Vince Dunn could be the guy as well, but, um, but yeah, this, like, just the fact that he's an overager it, it's, 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 interesting, because, like, maybe, like, an overager isn't, like, so bad development-wise, because it, it just means that they, you know, maybe they just took a while to, to get going and show their true potential, um, and, um, and maybe he's just back on track, but you do have to be a little bit cautious where it's, like, okay, I wonder what he's going to be in the AHL. I wonder what he's going to be in the NHL if he makes it. Um, And and that's what what makes him a wild card. Yeah, and
0: the numbers kind of back it up. Um, 11 points in 45 games, which is pretty decent for a WHL rookie, that's not bad. 31 points in a COVID-shortened 63 games, you know, pretty respectable. And then you get to the over point per game pace 28 points in 24 games 25 of those for assists so over an assist per game even um and the one thing that jumps out at me when it comes to Riker evans is this part of his elite prospects uh, profile uh it says that he is truly one of the drafts uh 2021 drafts best zone exit technicians and we talk about zone entries and zone exits and they're so important to uh, the success of teams, um, their ability to try, thrive on the forward check, thrive on the back check. That's gonna be so, so important for a new kid on the block like the Seattle Kraken. You need to be good at those zone entries and zone exits. Um, that's that's really going to accelerate your development. So if Riker Evans can really break through and establish himself not just on the offensive game, but that trade specifically. Uh, like I said, their their defense that looks pretty underrated right now um, could mature into um, I would say like at worst a top fifteen defense in the league. Which e- even still that that's still in that's still close to the top ten, which is pretty good.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so now we're going to go to St. Louis here. Um, so they added Pavel Bucinevich uh, They also uh, signed Brandon Saad And they also PTO'd James Neal I believe we talked a little bit about Pavel Buchnevich, But I think we talked about it more in terms of like Why did the Rangers do this um, But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I was just looking the other day Pavel Buchnevich had 48 points in 54 games That's like almost a point per game um, that's like it's very underrated and something that's that's going to be kind of interesting to see if he can replicate that on a new team, um, but I th- there's a pretty good chance that the Rangers just like, got, like uh, made a very 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 dumb trade in that um, they just um, yeah they gave up uh, uh, the Rangers just get Sammy Blaze and a 2022 second round pick. And it's not like Sammy, like Sammy Blaze could be decent. He he was a good power forward for them, but um, but it, just in terms of like the points that you can put up for for uh, that Bucinevich can put up, and it's not like Bucinevich was really like on a top line or anything like that. Um, it's kind of it's it's it, it could be pretty good for him if he um, if he can excel there. Um, also, not to mention the fact that there's like this looming thing coming in from St. Louis that Vlad Tarasenko wants to be traded. He has requested a trade. He feels that um, he's gone through like a couple of surgeries and it seems like St. Louis has messed up their surgeries to the point that he doesn't really trust the organization at all. So, um, and there was like rumors that he was upset about Ryan O'Reilly getting trade, uh, you know, being the captain instead of him which I could kind of see considering he was he's been on the team for like 10 years at that point um, so so yeah I, cu- I could see that being a, an issue but but yeah at the same time it's um you know maybe Tarasenko doesn't have it because he hasn't been in the league or hasn't been to his old self um, in a while so like this Buchnevich could be a good um, guy for St. Louis to, to replace Tarasenko if he's not up to standards. They haven't traded Tarasenko yet, and it looks like he's going to play, but um, there is like a definite chance that Buchnevich could end up being the guy um, that Tarasenko um, was uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, so what's interesting about Pavel Vichnevich
0: is not only can he play Tarasino's position, which is the right wing, um, he can also play left wing. So that adds a bit more versatility. Right now, basically, this is how the Blues lineup goes. Ryan O'Reilly, the aforementioned Blues captain, centering the first line with David Prawn on the left side and Jordan Cairo on the right side. Uh, and we'll talk about David Perron uh, later on because that situation is also pretty interesting given the fact that it's a contract year and he's been low key one of their best players in recent years. Um, then you have Robert Thomas centering the second line with Brandon Saad, the newcomer, on uh, left wing and Tarasenko on the right side. Then you have Pavel Butchnevich as the third line right winger, get this, with Braden Shen as the third line center. Oh, wow. And uh, Kim Koston, um on the left wing on the third line, and then um, the uh, line four consists of Tyler Bozak centering Logan Brown on the left side. Yep, he's on the Blues now. We'll get to that later. Yeah. And Ivan Barbashev on the right side. So the the versatility of Buchnevich is something that really benefits the Blues. The fact that he can play uh, both sides of the wing there. Um, Getting back to why he ended up on the Blues, yes, it was the Tarasenko uh, point of view. Um, The fact that Mike Hoffman is no longer there also leaves a hole on power play one, power play two, that I think Bucinevich could easily fill, as we've uh, seen with the Rangers. He's a very dangerous, uh, very capable uh, top six forward for uh, any team that he's on, uh, which is great. He also wanted to get paid, and the Rangers um, didn't want to give him the money, which is understandable because, you know, they have guys like uh, Lafreniere and Kako that they're probably going to have to pay later. So there's going to be situations where they're just like, yeah, we we can't really find the money for you because, you know, salary cap. Um, that's just the way stuff works around here. But he got his money with the Blues, a four-year deal, 5.8 million, the type of money that he wanted with the Rangers and didn't get. Um, so there's definitely the price tag there. I definitely think he can live up to that contract for sure, um, and I think by the end of it, um, I can definitely see a reality where he's the first line right winger. But Senevich, uh is that good of a hockey player,
1: right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, I will. So again, like when you read out these depth charts, it's like I, I don't know how much I grain of salt i can really take into on that because it's like well
0: they change day by day to be fair but I'm, I'm just too. giving you i'm just giving you a perspective like on the day of okay. um a possibility of how things could shape up and where the organization sees these guys so now that we're into training camp we're really starting to see
1: right in preseason what stuff, the yeah. lineups
0: look like what con- what uh, combinations they're working at
1: that's fair. It's just like Braden Shannon as a third line center. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, to me, so. no, you're
0: you're definitely right. Like yeah. you should be more second line at worst. Right, but, right, right. Yeah. right.
1: So that, that that part to me is like, what? Why would they do that? <laughs> so so I don't, I don't think I, I'll take too much stock into that. But I guess you're right. Well, yeah, I guess because for what it's worth, that's what they have. Um, I also like this Braden Brandon, Brandon Saad uh, de- uh signing. of like a low-key kind of move it's it's kind of like a similar thing it's like wait a second uh the blues the brandon sods on the blues now when when did this happen um but uh, yeah it was a five-year deal 4.5 million um and he had just looking here he had 24 points in 44 games um so almost a point per game or almost a half a point per game but um that's not too bad i remember last uh like um uh, last year when there was a trade from Chicago to Colorado, um, uh, a couple, like Jonathan Tays and Patrick Kane, were really upset that uh, they traded Brandon sod and stuff. But, um, yeah, it just turns out that he had uh, 24 points in 44 games. And I guess, like, Colorado's so stacked depth-wise that, like, they could just afford to lose him and stuff like that. But um, But that could be an interesting move for him in St. Louis where he's there isn't as much competition for him. I mean, sure, there there is definitely still competition, but uh, not as bad as it was in, in Colorado. So that could end up working out for him for sure. Um, yeah, the
0: thing with Sod is um, I, I think typically what you're going to get is a guy that gets 40 to 50 points, nothing more than that, really, on average per season. Um, but you look at his goal totals um, in order by season. 10, 19, 23, 31, career high, 24, 18, 23, 21, and then 15 and 44 games with the ads. You mentioned their depth. Um, he's a guy that can show up when it matters yep. most. And in particular, his playoff stats, 25 goals and 50 points in 91 games. This guy, in in playoff situations, when it's mattered the most, He's had some very good runs uh, with uh, with the Blackhawks. He had a good run with uh, Colorado uh, in the previous postseason. He actually got seven goals and an assist in ten games, so almost a point per game, uh, close to a goal per game. Um, there were a couple of other playoffs uh, where he kind of lit it up in the goal scoring department. He had uh, six in nineteen games. With the 2013-14 Blackhawks roster, the year after they win the Cup, he gets eight goals in 23 playoff games. So this guy is also a big playoff performer. So for, for Saad, I don't think it's a situation where like he's going to get power play one type of minutes like Vignevich will, where he's going to be a reliable uh, top six, top line even threat on uh, the wings. But he's a guy that can play both sides of the wing, left and right. Um, and a guy that chips in with some good secondary scoring. So if you're looking for a good power play two kind of guy, a guy can slot in a pinch on the, the second line, um, he could be more suited as a third-line option. But at the end of the day, you're still getting a pretty decent secondary scoring option, which is what the Blues need. They, they were able to get uh, some of that from Sammy Blay. They were able to get some of that with Zach Sanford. But I think they needed more of a pedigree when it comes to secondary scoring, and that's exactly what Saad provides.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, by the way, I was just looking here. His uh, average time on ice on Colorado was 14 minutes, um, <laughs> and uh, like in Chicago and Columbus, um, he was like averaging like 17 minutes. So. Um, mm-hmm pretty much every year so that's that's another reason where it's like when i was talking about their depth i was like oh Mm -hmm. like he he was playing like three less minutes uh, um yeah
0: like i said another good omen for sod to have a good year
1: yep for sure um and then uh and then in terms uh james neal has a pto which i think could be a good thing but we'll see if he's actually officially signed there um we'll let you guys know uh logan brown um is now a st louis blue um we talked about uh logan brown when we were talking about ottawa last week so it is kind of fitting that like logan brown got traded this week to another team that we're talking about uh so yeah he goes to st louis um also st louis gets a 2022 conditional fourth round pick um and that condition is the um the sends will retain that fourth round pick brown plays in 30 regular season games for the blues in 2021 2022 and according to uh, your depth chart things, it looks like Logan Brown's going to play. So, um, so maybe maybe we'll, we will see that. Um, and then uh, the only thing that the Blues lost in this deal was Zach Sanford. Um, he was very very good in um, the 2019 Stanley Cup Finals. Um, so I I like this pick because. Um, Just, just purely because he was so annoying to play against in the twenty nineteen Stanley Cup Finals, but um, but yeah, he uh, but anyways, this past year he didn't really like um, have the same kind of um, aspect of that because he had sixteen points in fifty two games for St Louis. Um, However, like the year before that, he had thirty points in fifty eight games with thirteen minutes of ice time. but so I guess maybe it just wasn't sustainable because then, um, yeah, because he had a, a drop in, in in the offensive stuff. So, so yeah, we'll we'll see how um, that goes. But, um, but yeah, I, I like this this trade for both teams.
0: Yeah, if you look at the St. Louis cap situation, and I believe it has changed since the Logan Brown trade. When I uh, googled it. It, they had 700, uh, they had $731,000 roughly to spend. And right now, Oh, would you look at that? It's still 731,000. So mm-hmm. it hasn't really changed. And the, the, uh, minimum, uh, to pay somebody in the NHL is $750,000. So if they were to give James Neal or Mikhail for a leak, uh, one of the two, the league minimum, they would still be a smidgen over the salary cap. Um, the good news is logan brown comes in at the league minimum so he's gonna be pretty easier he's gonna be easier to keep around than zach sanford who um is under a one-year deal at two million they signed him to that earlier this offseason now he's gone to ottawa and he would be a, a free agent um at the end of this year he'll be 27 uh, by the time july 1st 2022 rolls around so at that point he can sign wherever and um yeah he's a depth a good depth forward for them but I think someone that probably would have been overpriced if he hit the open market right. And rather than him for nothing they get a, a former 11th overall pick in 2016 that I think still has an NHL future ahead of them it's just that Logan Brown as I mentioned last week with the Sens when we talked about the Sens uh, in our offseason breakdown series Logan Brown is a great player but Whether it was bad timing, whether it was injuries, whether it was not doing enough of the right things to stay in the lineup consistently in the NHL and constantly getting sent down to the AHL time and time again, as each year rolls along, more guys come into the picture and all of a sudden you slowly fall down further and further to that chart to the point where you're just basically trying to stay relevant uh, in the prospect pool. And I just didn't think it was going to happen for Ottawa and Logan Brown. So the best way to kind of get your career back on track is get a change of scenery. And Logan Brown's dad, Jeff, played for the Blues. So he kind of knows the St. Louis area a little bit already. Um, While he was waiting for a contract to be signed with Ottawa, as a matter of fact, he was actually skating with Brady Kachuk in St. Louis. So he has a little bit of rapport with the Blues already uh, as well. So I think this is a low-risk, high-reward situation uh, for both the team and player. And I I definitely think it's going to pay dividends. But if he's on the fourth line, again, the question remains similar to Ottawa is, like, what's the best he can do for you? What's the best Logan Brown can do for the Blues? So that'll be something to keep in mind. The James Neal PTL, that'll be interesting to see because I think he'll be, like, a cheaper Mike Hoffman, a guy that maybe the best days are behind him, but he can still shoot the puck relatively well and get some decent goal scoring for you. And again, to fill that void uh, left behind from guys like Hoffman, from guys like James Schwartz, Alex Steen, who's retired, um, I, I, I think those cheap additions that the Blues have been able to get uh, over the past offseason, they're gonna need those guys to really pick up the pace and that's important because you have guys like Colton Pareco making more money after this year. You already have Jordan Binnington making more money now. Uh, you have uh, Justin Falk making a lot of money. You have Tory Krug making a lot of money on the back end as well. This team still has a lot of money committed to its players, even though Petrangelo has left, even though James Schwartz has left. Um, so that's definitely something to keep in mind. You also have uh, Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyrou signed to the exact same two-year bridge contracts. So, assuming every, uh, assuming both of those players continue to make steps forward in their game evolutions in their game, then it's going to cost more to keep those guys as well. Um, eat, eat. So that that's that's the danger with the Blues is the more you rely on these depth guys to kind of plug holes and fill voids. It kind of limits your ability to really do some damage in your division. And that division already is pretty tough. And it's headlined by teams like Colorado. But Winnipeg is there. Dallas is there. Minnesota, when we talked about with Kaprizov, there, they could be a real sleeper team. You never know what to expect with Nashville either. The only really... Team the, the only really terrible team that no one expects anything out of in that division is Arizona Right. so that alone isn't going to help the Blues they know that, every other team in the division knows that, it's going to be a dogfight right to the end and when you have 731,000 left in uh, contract space to work with it, it doesn't uh, give you a whole lot of options so um, the depth pieces like Logan Brown are going to play a pivotal role into how far this team goes
1: yeah for sure um, so in terms of subtractions, uh, we kind of alluded to this all. <laughs> Steve alluded to this all uh, when he was talking. But Vince Dunn is gone. Uh, is going to Seattle. So is Jayden Schwartz. Uh, Sammy Blaze is going to New York. Uh, Zach Sanford, we just talked about, um, is going to Ottawa. Um, in terms of resignings, again, Steve also alluded to it as well. Colton Pareko uh, is uh, he gets an extension. Eight years, six point five million per year. Um, this is an interesting move, just simply because they are already trading. They are sorry, they are already paying. Uh, C- Toy Krug six point five million for a while. They're also t- paying Justin Falk uh, for six point five million, um, and so now it's just they have like three defensemen. We're all being paid long-term deals uh, for a long time. However, the the main difference between like Krug and Falk and Pareco is that Krug is thirty, Falk is twenty nine, and Colts and is twenty eight. So like um so yeah, those are gonna be your three defensemen for for St. Louis for quite some time now. Um and it's just like figuring out the other three defensemen um in the in the system. But um yeah, that's that's just um it's kind of a crazy thing, but I guess it's like this is the year where all the rfa defensemen next year get their extension and um so compared to like the wierenskis the seth jones and all that stuff it it, it could end up working out okay for them but it is it is kind of interesting because the st louis blues already have a lot of um defensemen on long-term contracts mm-hmm. yeah
0: I, I i feel like the seth jones contract kind of rushed a lot of teams and just right. like Okay, we gotta lock up our defensemen now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyone who's got an expiring contract, lock them up now. We <laughs> right, right, can't yeah. afford to have them hitting the open market. Right. Um, right. The the reality is though, oh, one of, and in fact it could be more than one, one of Colton Pareko, Justin Falk, and Tori Krug are going to be playing second minutes next year. Yep. And that's going to be the case for quite some time unless a trade is made. Um, and it's even tougher, you know, if all of them shoot on the same side or whatever. But uh, Justin Falk, I believe, uh, can shoot both left and right, so it doesn't really matter. Yep. But, but either way, one of those three, even still, is going to be playing second-pairing minutes. You're, you're committing six-plus million per year to that. that. That could be an anchor for the Blues. Even if the guys played expectations, that's six million that you're not spending on your forward group or a reliable third-pairing defenseman, or a reliable backup for Jordan Binnington. Right now it's Billy so And the guy behind that, Charlie Lindgren, another yep. depth piece that they got in the offseason. So, again, that's, that's the kind of situation where the Blues are putting themselves in, and uh, uh, kind of putting themselves in a bind, uh, in, in a way.
1: I, I just realized that Braden Shen also is on a long term contract where it's 6.5 million. I guess, the, like, Doug, yeah. uh, I guess, uh, yeah, Doug Armstrong just loves doing long term deals where it's 6.5 million annual average value because he's done four of them um, in, his, uh, in the last couple of years. Um, and yeah. then
0: uh, also, also, I want to I mention before we go for any further, David Perron. I mentioned that situation was going to be worth monitoring. And here's why um, he's a UFA at the end of this year. He can play both sides of the wing. I feel like most of St. Louis's wingers can do that. Yep. He's on a very team friendly four by four contract. The final year of that four by four, he's got a five team, no trade list. So y- you could trade him pretty much anywhere And by anywhere, I mean not a bottom-feeding team like, I don't know, Ottawa or Buffalo or or Arizona or something like that. Um, But this is a guy who is considered to be like a fringe top-six forward for the most part. And then he had that one season in Vegas where he got 60 points in 70 games and 50 assists in that season. Here's what he has done in the three seasons since leaving Vegas and joining the Blues. 23 goals, 46 points, 57 games – I don't know if you heard, the Blues won the Stanley Cup that year. Then, yeah,
1: don't in me. 2019,
0: 2020, plays 71 games, gets 25 goals and 60 points. Last year, 19 goals, 39 assists, 58 points in 56 games. So a point-a-game player. Low-key been a very effective forward for the Blues. I am very interested to see how that situation plays out, leading up to the trade deadline, leading up to free agency that could be one of the most interesting storylines to watch in terms of what kind of contract he gets. Because while David Perron has played very good hockey in recent memory, he is 33 years old. And by the time the offseason rolls around, he'll just have turned
1: 34. Yep. So yep.
0: That, that'll, be, that'll be fun to watch.
1: For sure. Yeah. Also in re-signings, uh, Steve had alluded to this too, Robert Thomas and uh, Jordan Cairo both got the same deal, uh, two years worth $2.8 million. I kind of like this because I think both Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas have shown some promise in their recent years, but we would like to see a little bit more out of them just before like we get truly excited about them. But it is funny how they had the exact same deal, um, two years, $2.8 million. Um, Per year, so um, so that's also something to watch out for. Um, in terms of top prospects and stuff like that, uh, the top prospects are uh, for St. Louis is uh, Scott Perunovich. Um, he took the year off unintentionally because he was uh, injured. Uh, but uh, the year before that, he had won the Hobie Baker, and he had uh, forty points in thirty four games, which is not bad for a a defenseman. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so this past year, uh, he didn't get anything. He, it still says that he was going to be a part of the St. Louis Blues, but I don't know if I buy that. I do wonder if, like, because he took a year off, I wonder if they're going to just, like, put him in the AHL for a couple of games just to get him accustomed to it, and then they'll, like, you know, maybe they'll see it, um, how good he can be, and if he's, like, too good for the AHL, then they'll, they'll move him up because um, I, I find, or, or we'll see. I'll be interested to see if he, um, like, how they use him in the preseason because they may end up just using him a lot, which is interesting compared to what we were talking about with uh, Colton Pareko and Tori Krug and Justin Falk. It's like, then you have, you add this guy, Scott Perunovic, who should be pretty good, um, into the mix, and then you have a pretty solid, like, four, you know, top four our top two pairing, um, ideally. So that could be something that, um, that you could, you, he could be a low key dark horse, uh, Calder candidate, but I guess he has to make the pro roster first, which isn't a guarantee.
0: Yeah. And, and the other thing is again, that year off, how is it going to affect right. his development? Because heading into his first full pro season, supposedly, was expected to be his first pro season with the blues he was a monster with university of minnesota duluth his first year for even for a forward it's impressive that he did this 11 goals 25 assists 36 points in 42 games incredible stuff except he's not a forward he's a defenseman like we mentioned so like that that's just almost superhuman at that point yep and year two he gets 29 points in 39 games uh his goal total goes down from 11 to three, but still 29 points in 39 games, pretty good. And then 40 points in 34 games, uh, his final year with Winnie Duluth. Uh, and that brings us to the year where he didn't play uh, any hockey. And this guy was a second round pick. He wasn't even a first round pick in his draft year. In 2018, he had a lot of good talent. Uh, Perunovic was taken 45th overall by the Blues. 5'10", 174 pounds, so not the biggest defenseman, but uh, again, on a heavily stacked uh, Blues roster, uh, the fact that he's only 23 years old, going to be not turning 24 until next August, the 18th. Um, so he just turned 23 recently. I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, in, intrigued by his development, where he fits into the Blues, if he fits in at all. Um, but regardless if it's the Blues or somewhere else, I definitely can see him making a primetime NHL impact. I just think if he makes the blues, he's not going to see the type of minutes that you would expect from a guy in his position. You'll probably get mostly third pairing minutes just because of how stacked the blue line is there.
1: And also, I just noticed that he's a left handed uh, defenseman, which is the same as Tory Krug and uh, (laughs) Justin Falk. So, um, yeah, and now you see the problem. Yeah, exactly. our wild card prospect here is uh, Simon Robertson. Uh, he was uh, he was their third round pick this year for St. Louis. Um, I guess we could have gone with someone like Bull Duke or something like that, but I the thing that's interesting to me or intriguing about him to me and why I picked him as our wild card was the fact that like when I read all this scouting reports, they all say that he's like uh, the top sniper in the draft. Um, he's going to be one of the best shooters in this draft class. Um, he can like he's going to be an offensive threat and all that stuff. And then when you look at his elite prospect numbers, and it doesn't seem that like you know <laughs> that that exciting. Uh, yeah, he he did well in the J twenty, which I guess is the league under the the Swedish Hockey League. He's a Swede, um, where uh, last year he had twenty points in fifteen games for Skeleta J twenties. Um, I think that's how you pronounce their their name, um, and uh, and even still, it's like he, he, if he's known as a goal scorer, he you can't really tell because he had of those twenty points, he had uh, nine of those were goals. Um, so then, um, and then when he played in the SHL, which you know who knows how much ice time he had and all that stuff, but yet ended up having two points in twenty two games for the SHL. There are some. Um, Interesting things about him, though, like uh, he played in the World Juniors under-18s, uh, where he had four points in seven games, where he had three goals there. Um, and then he also, I guess they're saying in International Juniors, he, he ended up with five points in eight games um, and four goals. Four of those points were goals. Um, then, uh, I guess he's playing, uh, they're, they're starting off this time, where um, this year, um, He's played in one game for the J20 uh, team, um, and it it was just he had two goals and one assist, um, so three points in one game. And then uh, he played in the Swedish Hockey League, where he uh, hasn't scored yet, uh, but that's just in three games. um, And he's also in the Swedish under-20s. He has six uh, games and, and no points as well. So it's it is kind of interesting and uh, like you know it, it's funny because like when you look at like all the scouts and stuff they all say that like this guy has a a ton of potential they compare him to Kyle Connor and things like that and then like you look at his stats it's like it doesn't seem like he's he's doing it just yet so you kind of like wonder like hey like is it just like is it something that we're not seeing or is it something that. It will come, and and that's why it, it, he's a wild card because um, it's it's truly un um, we we don't know what we're gonna get. He could end up being a pretty good player. It just the stats haven't shown that just yet. But maybe he's just he's good on the eye test or something like that. So delving into
0: uh, what it says on Lee prospect, um, it says. Um, a Uh, This is the description of uh, Simon Robertson's shot from uh, Elite Prospects 2021 NHL Draft Guide. It says, he pushes his top hand from his body and fully engages the lever motion downforce on his stick for a mechanically clean shot with plenty of zip and accuracy. So that's key. Plenty of zip and accuracy, mechanically clean shot. Um, And then on top of that... um, he couples that shot with a off-the-puck timing that's very savvy, and that will make him a consistent scoring threat in the offensive zone. So when I think of that, I'm just thinking, you know, even if, let's say, he's a guy like Patrick Berglund, who's not going to get you anything more than, like, I don't know, 30 to 35 points a year, Patrick Berglund was a very efficient secondary goal scorer for them in, like, the top nine. If that's what they get out of Simon Robertson, that's still pretty good. Patrick Berglund was capable of scoring 10, 15, 20 goals for you per season. Very underrated goal scorer for them um, in, in the many years the Blues uh, were competitive before they won the Stanley Cup. So I, I feel like that's not um, that's not a total loss at all if, if that's what Simon Robertson turns out to be, if he's kind of a Patrick Berglund type of player. Uh, 190 pounds a third round pick so again not really the top of his draft class and of course the pandemic um affected his draft here much like any other um probably the best quote on his prospects page elite prospects page uh is this about his shot he shoots as hard as a horse kicks
1: <laughs> <laughs> don't
0: know why but uh I, I i i think that's pretty good news yeah
1: yeah, yeah.
0: um in, in, in terms of uh, his shooting accuracy, um, and just an odd description of it. So yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: that's that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It is odd though. Like when you look at his stats, you're like, wait, why? Like if his shot is so good, why isn't he scoring more? So, so yeah, that, that that's an interesting thing for sure. Um, all right, now we're going to the Stan- the back to back Stanley Cup champions. Um, they weren't quite as busy as they usually are because they lost a lot of guys um, and they didn't add anyone. I think that's mostly have to do with the fact that they were <laughs> very over the cap um, during the playoffs. So like they had to make a bunch of these kind of moves where they had to like, they lost an entire line. Basically um, the only guy of note that they added is Corey Perry. Um, and which is funny because like um, he was on the Montreal Team that lost to Tampa in the Stanley Cup Finals, and he was also on the Dallas Stars team that lost to Tampa in the Stanley Cup Finals the year before that. So, uh, so yeah, he he joins the Dark Side. He's like the Kevin Durant of the NHL, except uh, not as good. But um, but yeah, it, it is kind of funny that like he's he's now on Tampa where um, he's, he's like, all right, I, I guess uh, Tampa is a pretty good team. I can't I can't beat them. Uh, join them as the, as the saying goes but yeah it was a two-year deal one million per um, and he's 36 years old so that's kind of crazy it is interesting though for both like when he was on Dallas and Montreal like his regular season wasn't as good but then when, once the playoffs started he like he t- kicked it into next year and became one of their better uh, the team's better players uh, for both those times uh, both those runs so, um, so yeah, it, it could be kind of interesting, and especially when Tampa lost Yanni Gore, Taijo, uh, Barclay Goudreau, and Blake Coleman—all guys who are death pieces. Like you know, maybe that's that's what you need in the in the uh, playoffs. Is just some depth. So Corey Perry could add that that hole that that's missed, but maybe it's just like too much or too little, too late kind of thing.
0: Yeah. um... In terms of his individual numbers, I like what he did with uh, Montreal, and <laughs> I, uh, uh, it, it's, it's so funny because it's a guy with a million-dollar cap, it, but uh, for some reason, Corey Perry has a no-trade clause on both of the years that he signed yep. with Tampa, so that's, I, I would imagine, part of the incentive, and in fairness, when he signed up with the Dallas Stars, it was the same thing, he also had a no-trade clause there. Didn't have one last year with Montreal, but that's because he signed for the league minimum. So that's part of the reason why. Um, So he's basically all by guaranteeing himself a spot on the roster. Um, Obviously, Corey Perry isn't scorey Perry, like we knew in his days with Anaheim, where he was getting like 30-plus goals a year, 50, 60, 70, 80 points a year. But still, for a guy in his mid to late 30s, You look at the past two years, they're not too bad. 21 points, 57 games with Dallas. Even better is that with Montreal with 21 points in 49 games. Eight fewer games. And he gets the same amount of points. That's pretty good. And the key was his playoff contributions. Nine points in 27 games with the Stars. Ten points in 22 games with the Habs last year. And over those two playoff runs combined, he scored nine goals. So... He's he's coming up close to the playoffs. He's making an impact still in this game. That's huge. That's great for Corey Perry. And that's great for the Tampa Bay Lightning. The one thing that also caught my attention uh, is, yes, it's going to be tough to fill an entirety of a third line with Gore, Johnson, and Coleman gone. But you know what's really going to cause problems? having Corey Perry and Patrick Maroon wreaking havoc. Yeah, that's true. Like, you thought Patrick Maroon was a handful? You add Corey Perry to that mix? That's a good point. It's not going to be fun playing Tampa Bay.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that that is a good point, yeah. Uh, Yeah, losing Barkley Goudreau and Coleman, who also hits a a bunch, yeah, that's going to be tough. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, Corey Perry kind of adds that grit. Uh, to Tampa that they can need, But, like, I don't know. Like, at the same time, it's, like, I, f- I feel like one of the reasons why Tampa want- went back-to-back was, yes, obviously, Point and Kucherov and Stamkos and all those guys are, are very, very good. But their depth and, like, the fact that you have, like, gritty guys who can score um, on occasion as well. Um, so it's like... I don't know if Corey Perry will be that guy, but um, but at the same time, it's like you know it's hard to really doubt Tampa <laughs> at this moment because you know they've won back to back, which is a very insanely hard thing to do. Um,
0: yeah, they also brought they also brought in Pierre Edward Bollmar, who who has added a lot to their yeah. bottom six. I like that move too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, and then um, in terms of re signings, um, well, there is Alex Beret-Boulet. Um, who's uh, spoiler alert? He's going to be one of the prospects we're going to talk about, but um, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But the other one I wanted to talk about was Ross Colton. Um, he gets a two-year deal, one point one two five million. Um, this one was an interesting one because um, like he was on the fourth line, but uh, but he still managed to get twelve points in thirty games. Um, he also got like a a critical goal in the Stanley Cup Finals. And he had six points in 23 games in the playoffs. So so it is interesting that, like, um, Bure Boulet, who's a guy we're about to talk about, um, but, like, you know, like, Ross Colton, he may end up being, like, an, another guy like Tampa where they just, like, it's like a factory that there. It's, like, all of a sudden he's, like, it's, like, who wait, who is this guy? And then all of a sudden he turns out to be, he couldn't... Uh, he might not be that bad, kind of like a uh, Carter Verhei back in the day. Um, yeah. there's a couple of other ones that I'm blanking on, but uh, but yeah, it, it seems like Tampa just has a habit of like finding these random uh, diamonds in the rough, um, or even yeah. like finding guys who are undrafted and, and just picking them up and, and figuring it out. So um, yeah, so like, like Tyler Johnson. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, so our top. Prospect here is yeah, or like Yanni Gord, I think went undrafted. Uh, I guess Nikita Kucherov, even though he was a second round pick, or Braden Point was also a second round pick, so it doesn't technically count. But at the same time, it feels like so, they they should be they should have been like first round picks or the first overall pick their year. Um, um, yeah. In hindsight, twenty twenty, so it seems like they 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 do a pretty good job on on that stuff. Um, so, so yeah, uh, Alex barre um, is our best prospect here. Um, and uh, what's interesting is, is like this past year, you would think that he had. Um, uh, you know, I, I was like I had him as like a dark horse candidate for your Calder. Um, however, I think this year we'll see a lot of him because they did lose all those guys that we just mentioned. Um, but. Like, when he was playing for the Syracuse Crunch, he had 12 points in 10 games, um, and then I guess he was on the taxi squad for a lot of them. Um, And then he ended up playing a little bit for Tampa um, towards the end of the year, but he ended up just getting three points in 15 games. Um, But I'm sure um, if he doesn't get opportunity now, um, like... (laughs) Like, I don't don't know what to tell you. It seems kind of crazy, because, like, they lost an entire line. So you would think that Bure boulet is finally going to be in there. He was just, like, unfortunate enough to be on the taxi squad for the entire time. Um, and, you know, Tampa was just too good, um, to, like, and they didn't miss too many players, I guess, of course, um, instead of, uh, Kucherov, but, um... But yeah, it's it's interesting because he's 5'10", he's 24 years old, um, he w- he went undrafted, so speaking of guys who they just find and who go undrafted, um, and uh, there was, um, but yeah, I, I think he's like, he's just too good for the AHL, like a uh, year before that he led the uh, league in points in the AHL, um, he, where he had 56 points in 60 games, um, so... Um, so, yeah, I think it's at a point where it's like he's too good for Syracuse, but um, he might be able to find a spot um, in the NHL this year.
0: Yeah, so, um, and I again, it's daily face-off, it's early, a lot could change, but uh, in the latest lineup chart, the latest line rushes, Bray Goulet's not on there. Yeah. He's not even on the fourth line. The fourth line has Bill Maher centering Patch Maroon on the left and Taylor Radish on the right. Um, and there's also Matthew Joseph as the uh, third line uh, left winger. So there are a lot of young forwards with NHL experience, with NHL potential. And th- it might be like a rotating platoon of guys. Maybe Matthew Joseph is the healthy scratch one night and Bray Boulay is healthy scratch another night. And Taylor Radish is a healthy scratch yeah, another night. And they just keep rotating these guys and figure out, okay, this is what works, this is what doesn't. These guys are perfectly fit for this uh, situation more than this guy is. And they just take it from there. And I think that could also inject a lot of healthy competition between guys like uh, Taylor Radish, um, Matthew Joseph, and Alex um, who I who I think uh, have NHL futures still. Yeah. Um, Bore Boulay especially, because similar to Carter Verhege, he tore up the AHL, like you said, yep. Brad. And he's done so for many years now. So, um, and even in junior, it was the same kind of thing, where he was team leader in scoring and even led the, the league in scoring or was near the top ten in league scoring, sure, yeah. Um In terms of re-signings... Um, there is one re-signing that I feel kind of went by the wayside. Well, wait, wait. Can I can I just
1: th- mention uh, one thing on Bure Boulay? And speaking yeah, yeah. of re-signings, uh, yeah. so I don't know if you looked here, but um, he had he had a three-year contract, and it was worth not even a million dollars seven seven fifty k for three yeah, years. Minimum. Yeah, like league minimum for three years. He's still going to be an R. I guess he's. Oh wait, maybe he's going to be a UFA later on. But like, um, oh yeah, he's going to be a UFA. But like, like <laughs> I don't know. Um, like, and I understand that. Like, yeah, he hasn't played in the NHL as much, so you don't have like a good sense of him. But he's he's worth more than a million dollars. So there's a good chance that like uh, the ta- like if he suddenly starts to uh, pan out. And is as good as we expect him to be. Like the <laughs> the the Tampa Bay Lightning may have like gone away with another quote unquote loophole, um, where it's like how did they, like how did they get him under a million dollars? Just it's just absolutely ins- insanity. When I saw that, I was just like, I know Boule hasn't made it just yet, but like how do you keep your top prospect? under a million dollars when you resign him. that just it's just like flabbergasting. it's just like I'm jealous of Tampa like, like <laughs> not just because of their there's back-to-back Stanley cups but just the fact that they like they were able to do that. that's like it could be the, the best deal in the league if he suddenly is like a, a Calder candidate. It uh, should be noted that Tampa
0: Bay is still over the cap by like seven or eight million. <laughs> and that's with Seabrook on long term interest reserve because yeah. they traded for his cap hit. I don't I know if you remember. Show. Oh, how did Tyler Johnson yeah. go to Chicago? Well, they took Seabrook's cap hit off of Chicago's hands. That's yeah, how yeah, they were yeah. able to get it done. Um, but this is part of the reason why they signed those guys to uh, cheap contract extensions. And that's because they already opened the bank for Braden points. Yeah. And. This was lost in the shuffle on the first day of free agency, but Braden Point got his money's worth. He got a fresh new eight-year, $76 million deal. That's a $9.5 million cap hit. And uh, it's got a no-move clause that kicks in year two, runs uh, from year two all the way to year five. Then year six to eight, he's got a modified no-trade clause, which is somehow only a 10-team no-trade. Um so they're not as restrictive there. But um after they pay him nine million in the first year of that deal, which kicks in next year, then they pay Braden Point two five million million year two, $12 million in year three, and $12 million again in year four before it goes down to nine point seven five, and that's around uh seven plus million uh, for the final three years. Um so part of the Bray Boulay contract situation I think largely has to do with the fact that we're paying Braden Point a lot of money and Andre Vasilevsky a lot of money on top of all these other guys and we still right. have Sergachev and Sorelli down the road to to settle on deals for.
1: Put off. Yeah. So
0: now that the cap hit for those guys is going up, we're going to be in the same cap crunch of, okay, how do we fit these guys in and right. stay... Yeah. within the legal limits and avoid the 18 million over-the-cap hashtags on Twitter again
1: <laughs> yeah that, that's <laughs> and, fair and this
0: and this is how they do it is with contracts like Beret-Boulet.
1: yeah I I guess so it's just it's just crazy because Beret-Boulet is so undervalued on this contract it's just like oh yeah 100%. I understand I, mean, I can understand it if it was like a one-year deal where he's like making seven hundred thousand or something like that but like three years <laughs> with seven hundred thousand that's just that's just crazy to me but yeah, I think you with
0: Roulet, out. it's a case of yeah okay I'll play for whatever but I want to play right and this probably gives him the best chance to play and if yeah. he doesn't really get the playing time that he wants or is looking for this year, yeah. then you still got year two or year three to make it happen
1: true and I, I think that it also should be noted too and I, I, I bet that was probably the thing that's like okay I'll, I'll be on your paid for three years. But, um, like, I'm going to be a UFA that following year, so... Um, mm, and so, then I'll make yeah. my money. If I'm, like, money. making,
0: like, 50 or 60-plus points, right. like, that that will be a guy on a lot of people's right, right when right, he
1: becomes a free agent. Which which is going to be in three years from now. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's probably it. It's like, okay, I'll take this very, very team-friendly deal but I'm going to be UFA, and that's when I'll make my big bucks. So so that's definitely yeah. probably what his thinking is, but it's still crazy when you just see it like that. It's just like, even that's unguaranteed, too. It's just, that, that part's a little insane as well. But, anyways. Hey,
0: the, uh, before we go to the prospects, I do want to mention uh, some areas of concern for Tampa Bay. As I mentioned last oh. year going into the playoffs, I thought if Vasilevsky gets hurt, Tampa could really put themselves in a bind because McElhinney hadn't really played all that well going into the playoffs. And they relied on Vasilevsky basically the entire way through. Um, So Curtis McElhaney has retired. His NHL career is done. They bring in Brian Elliott, who, similar to Curtis McElhinney, if you limit his playing time, Within a certain threshold, I think he could be a very capable backup for any NHL team. But if he goes over that threshold and he starts to play in a lot of games, they could be in trouble. And uh, their backup option outside of Brian Elliott would be Max Legacy, who is mostly an an NHL goaltender outside of that time he spent uh, with Vegas when basically they were probably going to be, employing part-time team pony drivers to be their goalie because all their goalies were hurt um so yeah um there's that that concerns me with tampa is their goal defending depth outside of azalevsky um also their defensive depth because they didn't bring back luke shen they didn't bring back david Savard. um they were able to bring in zach bogosian uh they also welcomed back andre schuster who Believe it or not, uh, went to Anaheim, then went to Europe, I think, and now found his way back on Tampa Bay's roster. Um, so basically those two come in, and Shen and uh, Savard move on. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how their third-period defense shapes up, how it stacks up, and how it holds up as the season rolls along. So those two areas are probably my main areas of concern if I'm the Lightning right now.
1: Right. Um, well, yeah, I, I guess from the goal-tending st- standpoint, it's like Vasilevsky is kind of like a superhuman where it seems like he plays <laughs> all the time. So I'm not too yeah. concerned about that just yet. Uh, maybe like a, a couple, a few more seasons where it's possible he gets fatigued and all that stuff. Then Yeah, he, he, he and you to don't want that
0: because we've seen, we've seen the long-term yep. effects of fatigue. Look at Holpe, look at Price, look at Bobrovsky. Yep.
1: But, like, I'm not as concerned about Basilewski f- just for the fact that, like, he's been doing it for the last couple of years, and, you know, <laughs> he's, he's been one of the best uh, goaltender, if not the best goaltender in the league, so I, I'm not concerned about it until it will be a concern, but I, I don't think it's going to be too big of a deal. Um, uh, so, we actually, I know you said that, like, before we go to the prospects, we actually did talk about a prospect, and that was Uh, So... Um, I just skipped all the other subtractions that, that you just mentioned. so so I guess good on you for that. Um, and the resignings, yeah. I probably should have put in Braden point in there as well. Uh, but yeah,
0: like I said, it was easy it was easy to get that loss in the shuffle because a lot was happening. Yeah. So it's just like oh, they, they broke the bank. they gave Braden his
1: money. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, all right, so our wild card prospect here is uh, is actually a, another undrafted pl- uh, player. But it's Odine Tufto, Um, and (laughs) I think uh, so. What's interesting is, is, and and of course, it's because he's very small. That's why he went um, undrafted. He's five foot seven, Um, so I think even shorter than Cole Cole Caulfield. But if you look at the uh, the stats on the uh, NCAA stats, um, he played for Quinnipiac. Um, he had forty-seven points in twenty-nine games. The only player in college who did better than him uh, was Cole Caulfield, uh, who had fifty-two <laughs> points in thirty-one games. Um, and then, if you go by points per games, Caulfield had one point six eight uh, points per game, and Tufto had one point six two. Um, those are also one and two in terms of points per game. Um, so, so that's like, um, so it looks like he's going to be pretty good. Um, just from that standpoint, I guess the other things is like you know Caulfield's like 21 years old, whereas Tufto is 24. Um, so you have that to consider. The fact that he's like he was playing a bunch uh, against, like he was a senior basically. But at the same time, like the year before that, he had 38 points in 34 games for Quinnipiac. Um, his sophomore year, he had 42 points in 38 games. Um, and in his freshman year, he had 41 points in 38 games. So it's like he's never had like a, a, a season where he was less than a point per game, um, especially this past year when he only when he played in like twenty nine games instead of like the usual thirty eight. So um, so that's just yeah, so, and like yeah.
0: and like three of his three of his four years he had thirty plus assists, which is tough to do at the yeah. NCAA level as well.
1: Yeah, it, it is kind of crazy that like not even like any team was interested in him. Um, but I guess it's, like, you know, even, like, the years before that, like, I, I guess he was on, um, oh, he played for the U.S. USHL, um, and then he played for t- uh, three teams, I guess his, it would be his draft year. Um, and, um, and, yeah, he did pretty well for them, too. But, like, he played for Sioux City. He had 20 points in 21 games. Uh, Tri-City Storm, he had seven points in eight games. And then the Fargo Force, he had 21 points in 30 games. This was in 2016, 2017, by the way. But, like, he played for three separate USHL teams. And he did pretty well for all three of those teams, which is... Is pretty nice um, and, and interesting for, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I must I'm, have
0: been getting traded for like all-stars all stars all the time because, like, why else would you trade away a, a player putting up points at that rate? Yeah, I know it,
1: it is kind of insane when you think about it. Um, but, yeah, he uh, so he played, a uh, he signed his entry level contract as soon as he uh, graduated or you know, the, the Quinnipiac season was over. But he only played in four games for Syracuse. He, uh, he didn't get any points there. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's tough to really tell. I imagine we'll see him again in Syracuse again. I know that uh, Tampa is probably going to, um, you know, going to need some depth forwards and things like that. But on the other hand, um, I could see, like, I, I feel like just development-wise it makes sense to just keep him in Syracuse for the year and see how he does. Um, but again, if, like, he starts to play too good, who knows? Maybe we'll see him up, like, later on in the season. But I, I wouldn't count on it just yet.
0: Yeah, um, and um, to clarify, he actually did play four AHL games last year. Didn't, didn't get any points, as you mentioned, Brad. So that four games of AHL experience is not really enough to say, okay, I'm right. ready for the big show now. <laughs> right, right, right. Especially when you don't get any points. But, like... The fact that Taylor Radish is probably going to be spending more time in the NHL, same with possibly Matthew Joseph, same with um, Osprey Boulay, maybe even Boris Kachouk, that means three or four guys in the AHL not playing in the AHL because they're in the NHL, and that means more opportunities for Odin Tufto to do what he does best, and that's set up goals and occasionally score them. So... Watch them rack up the assist, just let them play in the AHL. Again, like like we said many, many times with these young prospects, just give them quality ice time, give them enough opportunities to succeed and thrive, and just watch them grow and help them along. Yep. I think that's what if Dean Tufto needs to get out of this season, is just all the playing time, all the primary situations, if he gets that in the AHL great if he finds a way in the NHL and he's a top six forward, hey, even bigger news for the Tampa Bay Lightning and even bigger news for Brody. To yeah. the, but um, my, my game plan going into this year, just keep him in the AHL. Don't care how good he's doing. Just keep him there for one season. Let him thrive. And there are going to be plenty of options down the road to bring him up because, again, Tampa's kind of cash-strapped, as we all know. And... If he doesn't get his opportunity this year, he'll get it next year, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, in terms of, like, other prospects that Tampa has, they kind of have, like, an interesting prospect pool because, of course, they've been good for so long, even before these Stanley Cups, um, that, like, you know, they don't really have, like, like the best prospect pool, but they still have some decent prospects out there. Uh, Hugo Alnefeld is probably their biggest one. Um, that we didn't mention. Um, he's a goalie um, f- for the HV71, which is in the Swedish Hockey League. He could be pretty good, but it's kind of like, I guess the reason why I didn't put him on there is he, with Vasilevskiy and Nett, um, it, it might be tough to see him in the league and, and be that guy. Um, like we'll probably eventually see Bure um in there. Um, Jack Finley's another one. Um, he's in Syracuse. He's kind of been their best center there. Um, Dylan Duke, who's a guy that they're, they they uh, just drafted this year. Um, he's going to play in Michigan, so watch out for him. And then uh, Gage this, um, who was a draft pick from last year's draft. Um, and he's been doing pretty well uh, for the Everett uh, Silver Tips um, as well. So I, I think those are some guys to watch out for or keep your eye on for sure from the Tampa Bay Lightning system. Alright, uh, so now we go to uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, our last team uh, for the night, um, or I guess morning when you're listening to this. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. In terms of Toronto, yeah, they kind of got a little bit busy uh, throughout, um, but um, but I don't know, not like huge, huge changes other than, I guess, losing Zach Hyman and Frederick Henderson. But um, in terms of ads, they added uh, Peter Morazic. Uh, they also get Michael Bunting. Um, and then uh, they added Nick Ritchie and Andre Cachet, who we both talked about. Um, and then, in terms of subtractions, um, they ended up uh, technically the, uh, the Seattle pick was uh, Jared McCann because they made that trade just uh, a, like a minute, like, you know, the day before the Seattle draft. And then. Um, you know, uh, Seattle just ends up picking him. I guess there was speculation that like Alex Kerfoot was going to be the pick. It's a little odd to like just trade for Jared McCann and then leave him exposed. But at the same time, I think it was kind of smart by Kyle Dubas because he liked the core that they're having, so they like they used Jared McCann as bait so that they wouldn't take any of their guys. Um, I still would rather have like J- Jared McCann. Rather than, like, say, um, I forget exactly who they exposed or who they protected instead, but um, um, it does seem like a little bit strange to do. I think, like, they kept uh, Justin Hole, um, who's a defenseman, yeah. um, which I thought was a little bit odd because they, they could have afforded to, to um, you know, just keep Jeremy McCann because I think Jerry McCann's going to be pretty good for Seattle. But at the same time, I could see what Kyle Dubas was doing, where it's like he didn't want to lose any of their core players. And if he just, like, baits Seattle um, into uh, a Jared McCann, and it's like, you know, they ended up uh, just trading, like, Philip Hollander in a seventh-round pick. It's like, okay, um, it's, not, it's not like it was too bad, because who knows what's going to happen with Hollander. A seventh-round pick in 2023... Um, is probably not going to be an NHLer, most likely. So, so it's not like they lost too much out of that. But still, I, I I think McCann they might end up regretting like not protecting Jared McCann. Yeah,
0: I I think secondary scoring wise, yeah. it would have been nice to keep him around. Um, that being said, I think there's hope that uh, they can find that secondary scoring through other methods. They're hoping that Andre Kasha can fill that void. Obviously, the the key, and we sadly keep mentioning it, if he can stay concussion-free and he can stay injury-free, the, the concussions have really set him aside. They, they plagued him, as a matter of fact, to the point where he can't, can't even play. Um, so... Yep. The, he really needs to stay healthy this year in order for him to be effective. Nick Ritchie is a pain in the butt, and he can also score goals, so he'll be tough to play against. They need him to combat against the likes of Brendan Gallagher in Montreal, Brady Kachuk in Ottawa. Um, have, still hasn't signed yet, but uh, do, any day now. No? Yeah. Um, there's also Racco Gudis in Florida. You have the... Uh, duo of Perry and Maroon, as we mentioned in Tampa Bay, and th- yeah, like I like I said, there there are going to be a lot of intimidating pests in this division and in other divisions too, where you still need a little bit of grit. And Nick Ritchie definitely provides that. There's also Curtis Gabriel that they brought in because if they need someone to fight. Yep. Well, he can definitely fight, so he's basically the de facto Scott Sabarin Where you plug him into the lineup if you need a fighter and um, watch him go basically yeah. um, but they also have some fringe NHLers, they brought in Michael Amadio, they brought in David Kampf as well um, Michael Bunting I think honestly was the most underrated pickup of this entire yeah, offseason was. and I'm really interested to see how he fits into the Leafs' plans, I really hope it works out for him because the limited ice time he got in Arizona last year he made good on it and yep. he looked pr- and he looked excellent as a matter of fact yeah. So if they can get secondary scoring from him, uh, all all the power to him, and that makes them even better as an offense.
1: And Michael Bunting also provides some kind of like he has some pass qualities to him as well, so uh, that could mm-hmm. also be kind of interesting. Yeah, I like that move for them too. Um, and then uh, yeah, so they also added uh, Peter Mrazek. I guess they're they're gonna keep Jack Campbell as the starter, but maybe they're gonna like do like a fifty-fifty share or something like that. The thing with Mrazek is, yeah. is that he always gets injured, um, or and like you know, and then when he is healthy, he can be inconsistent, um, and I, I think that's been like a big trouble for Toronto. It's like yeah, Jack Campbell did look good uh, towards the end of the season, but then once the playoffs happened, he you know he kind of collapsed. Um, so I am curious to see like how the goaltending works because that was their downfall for many years. Um, and, like, yeah, I, I think it is funny because you were mentioning how like, Frederick Anderson uh, was going to be the top uh, free agent goaltender to sign. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess they're just using Peter Muraszek as that um, as stopgap. Uh, it is kind of funny because it wasn't really a trade between Carolina and Toronto, but it ended up happening where it was, like, a Peter Muraszek for Frederick Anderson. Um kind of trade so that, that that's interesting for sure um and then in terms of other subtractions zach hyman um you know he was on their top six um but um and he's going to go to edmonton he'll probably you know he's gonna have um if there's any team that has better centers than uh, toronto it's edmonton so um, i feel like hyman's gonna do well in edmonton just because it's like a similar situation um, but, um, yeah, I am kind of curious to see what they're going to do, uh, what Toronto's going to do to replace them. I, I, like, I like Nick Ritchie. Um, I like Michael Bunting. I don't know if, he's, if they're both as good as uh, Zach Hyman is. So that, that's just something to, um, to be uh, interested in, and I'm more intrigued by that as well. Um, and yeah, I guess their goaltending situation is the other thing that I would be intrigued by. Um, and then, uh, they also lost uh, Joe Thornton, and, uh, David Riddick is, uh, also away as well. I think he went to Winnipeg, is that right? Uh,
0: David Riddick, he went to Nashville.
1: Oh, Nashville, right, right. And then Joe Thornton went to Florida. Mm-hmm, he
0: did, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll answer I'll answer this very, very simply. Nick Ritchie is not better than Zach Hyman. Andre Kasch is not better than Zach Hyman. Michael Bunting is not better than yep. Zach Hyman. They're being brought in to help fill the void left by Zach Hyman. Right. And if they can do it, even a decent a, a job at that, I think they'll be good. Here's a look at, uh, again, daily face-off. Not the be-all and end-all. This is not how it's going to be on opening night. This probably won't be what it looks like in a month from now. Yep. But here are the early projections. They're actually wasting no time with Nick Ritchie. They're putting him on the line with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. So
1: okay.
0: um, if, if you get first line Nick Ritchie, hey, there could be a big breakout season for him. Yeah. Michael Bunting, oh, look at that. On the line with John Tavares and William Nylander could also be a pretty good season for him. Uh, so that leaves uh, the third line. Kerfoot centering that with Andre Kasha as a third line right winger. And up on the left side. It should be noted that apparently have asked for a trade during the offseason, so we'll see what happens there. And then uh, David Kopp centering the fourth line with Spetz on the right side, Wayne Simmons on the left.
1: Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, alright, so in terms of re-signings, there weren't any of note for Toronto, um, but, so now we're going to the, the prospects here.
0: I, I, I will say, though, before we go into the right. prospects, um, they <laughs> did bring back Wayne Simmons and Jason Spezza, as I mentioned. They also re-signed Travis Dermott, And uh, um, they also brought in a pair of interesting PTOs that could turn into something. But, again, uh, with um, about 80000 left in cap space, I don't know how much they can do with those PTOs. But nevertheless, uh, Josh Hosting, remember him? Right. Just toiling in the Islanders' system for a fair bit. He's on a PTA with the Leafs, as is former New Jersey Devil and Florida Panthers forward Nikita Gusev.
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, in terms of prospects, um, we have... Uh, so we, we have, this is our second Robertson that we're going to talk about uh, today <laughs> in terms of prospects. But no relation... However, this Nicholas Robertson, who's the best prospect, he's actually Jason Robertson's brother, so that's something mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Um, we have another brother set uh, coming into the league, uh, so watch out, Kachuks and uh, Hughes. Um, but, um, but what's interesting, too, is when I'm looking at his Elite Prospects page, um, he even though he is in a... a, a it's another American brother duo, um, and he resided in, they reside in California. Um, like, he went to the OHL. <laughs> um, so uh, he played for the Peterborough Peets his last year there. He had 86 points in 46 games. Um, I guess technically at this point he's not really a, rook, a prospect, but um, he only played in four games in the playoffs for Toronto uh, where he had one goal in uh, in those four games. Um and then um I guess he was also in the World Juniors where he had five points in five games. Um and then he played in six games uh this year for Toronto the Maple Leafs where he had uh just one assist um in those six games. Um and then for the Marlies he uh it was a decent run there. He had sixteen points in twenty one games uh, for the Toronto Marlies. So that's that's not too bad. I remember last year there was a lot of hype to him. I feel like there's always hype to Toronto Maple Leafs prospects. But, um, but yeah, it seemed like uh, everyone was wondering, like, oh, he could run for – he could potentially be a Calder Trophy person. Like, I thought maybe Alex Boulet would be one. Um, but that could end up being this year where I think we'll, we'll probably see him. Um, maybe that is a reason why they felt like they could let go of Zach Hyman. Um, and not make so much of a move to get another like left winger um, because they could, you know, they could just slip in uh, Nicholas Robertson, who is the left winger, and and just add him into the lineup. Um, so so maybe who knows? I doubt he'll be like a top six player, but I could see them definitely being in the bottom six just to get him acclimated because uh, it is getting to the point where it's like, wait, why is he? Um, you know, he, he spent a year in the, um, the AHL. Maybe um, maybe he should uh, get some NHL experience and stuff like that. So we may end up seeing him a little bit this year. I'll talk about Amiroff as well, but, um, but what are your thoughts on Robertson? Plain and simple, I think
0: he's either going to be in the AHL for the full season, or he's going to be in uh, the big picture for uh, the Maple Leafs. It could determine on the health of Cache and Richie and all the other guys. Um, It could determine on how good Nick Robertson's training camp is. Um, Whether it's this year or next year, I think he'll find himself playing in the NHL. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be big clutch minutes right away. It could be starting on the third line. But I think um, over the next couple of years, you will start to see him transform into the top six forward that he was meant to be. And we have seen in the OHL how good he is when it comes to scoring goals. Um, 15 and 62 is rookie year, 27 and 54 is second year. Then explodes for 55 and 46. That's not points, that's goals. Absolutely incredible goal scoring ability. And he had the five goals in 21 games. was just like, oh, that's a bit concerning. But Again, everything was just, like, out of flux because of COVID last year. And still, he had 11 assists, so a total of 16 points in 21 games on a not-so-good Marlies team. That's still pretty impressive for Nick Robertson. So I think it's only going to get better for him. He's going to build upon that. Also, what I didn't realize until looking at his elite prospect's profile, uh, he can talk some trash on the ice, which uh, I find kind of interesting for a player of that skill set. He's not afraid to... Yep. mix it up after the whistle as well but uh, you're looking at a guy that's extremely hard of the four check just absolutely relentless and when i think of players of that nature i'm thinking oh sounds a lot like zach hyman so yep yeah they, they, this could be zach hyman 2.0 this could be even better than zach hyman we'll see
1: yeah i guess a i love, like
0: what i see from nick robertson either way
1: yeah for sure um, uh, we also we were kind of having a debate on if it was Robertson who was the best prospect or Rodion Amirov, um, who was the uh, p- uh, first-round pick that they picked last year um, in the 2020 draft, 15th overall. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I think we went with Nicholas Robertson because it seems like Robertson's more NHL-ready. But uh, yep. Amirov should get some... Honorable mention because uh, he had thirteen points in thirty nine games in the KHL this past year, um, and he's already and the KHL has just started again, um, and in two games he just has one assist there, um, so um, so yeah, and then in the uh, World Juniors uh, where he played for Russia, he had six points in seven games um, in that World Juniors, um, so so yeah, it, it's someone to watch out for for sure, but um, but yeah, at the moment. Um, I think the Nick Robertson is the best prospect um, in the system um, and then in terms of wild card prospects um, I actually went with uh, you Now I feel like I'm, I'm getting self-conscious here how do you pronounce, m- pronounce his name because you were telling me how to pronounce it, and I, I think I missed it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, um, if you want to look uh, into the lease prospects more, uh, and you're a Steve Dangle fan, if not, why wouldn't you? He's he's right. great, and his content's great. Um, he does a prospect pyramid of the lease every single year. Has been for a couple of years now, and this guy has popped up uh, twice uh, in the 2020 and the 2021 prospect pyramid that we just unveiled. Uh, his pronunciation is Nick abruzzi uh, at least that's how Dangle pronounces it Nick Abruzzese
1: I, I call it Nick Abruzzi But I think you might be right It's Abruzzese So that's how I'm going to pronounce it now um, But yeah, he, um, he's another one of those college players By the way, can you tell that I, I love college hockey Because I feel like I, I keep on picking I <laughs> I keep. On, I feel like hey, I, He even I, plays for
0: Harvard too yeah. I thought you would have heard of this guy by no, now No, <laughs> no, no
1: No, I've heard of this guy But I, I just didn't know how to pronounce his name because uh, oh, okay. I've been saying ab- abruzi, but I guess it's abruzzi. Um, but um but yeah, no, I, I'm just saying like in, in general during this whole series that I've been like picking a lot of college prospects. Um, but but it's mostly just because I, I guess I'm a little bit biased because I do watch a couple of college hockey games uh, throughout the year. Um but yeah, so he went to Harvard, uh, like Steve said, but uh, he didn't do what John Farinacci did uh, or any, a lot of these other guys who like, um, uh, who went to Harvard and stuff like that. Because, um, oh, in case you forgot, Harvard took the year off due to COVID. A bunch of the Ivy League schools took the year off. So, um, however, uh, Abruzzezi, um, he had, the year before that, he had a 44 points in 31 games. Um, and if you, um, and that would put a, put him fifth in points in the college um, at that time so that's, that's pretty good and third point in points per game so so that's kind of like how do you get him on your radar in a sense but it looks like he's going to uh, take another year at Harvard this year um, and where he's going to get the C um, and I guess a, a reason why he's kind of a, a bit of a, a wild card is yeah he has shown that he can be pretty good um, uh, like his freshman year, he had 44 points in 31 games, so that's pretty good for a freshman. Um, so it w- will be un- interesting to see how he does, um, uh, without a year playing hockey, competitive hockey. Um, and then the factor of like the fact that he's 5'9 um, and he's considered a center. Um, so we'll see, um, how he, um, you know, how he develops and stuff, it'll probably be a couple more years before we actually see him in the NHL. But, um, but yeah, at the moment, it, this could be a diamond-in-the-rough type situation. Um, this is one of those ones also that, like, he um, uh, he was a fourth-round pick um, in 2019. Um, so it's, like, usually, like, unlike Odin Tufto, um, you know, he, he doesn't have to, like, like sign after uh, he, he finished playing he finishes uh, college, he can, um, he can just sign right after this year if he's good enough or he feels he's ready or, you know, Toronto feels he's ready. So that's kind of like a, another interesting wrinkle too. Um, yeah, so I'll be curious to see how he does um, um, with one year left or like when he didn't play hockey for the entire year.
0: Yeah, so to add to your wild-card thing, and Steve Dangle mentioned this in the prospect pyramid for this year, um, even if Harvard did play games last year, there's no guarantee that Everett said he would have played any because he was rehabbing an injury. Uh. And um, not really sure, how, again, how that would have impacted his playing time, but um, I don't think he would have been at full strength, to say the least, for, for most of the year. Um, so uh, it's... Um, Rehabbing an injury plus not playing a year due to COVID. And now he enters year three, in quotations, year two for him, but technically year three at Harvard. And uh, he's got the C on his chest now. That's a pretty big leap to go from a guy in his first year to a guy in his third year. And he he's given the assisting seats, so he's given this Easter straight And now you're expected to, to lead this team after. A year plus away from the rank that's not an easy task to do and uh on top of that he's another smaller guy five foot 961 pounds so he's relying a lot on his skill not on his frame uh his draft year brett you mentioned that uh, he was an assistant captain with the chicago steel that was his second year and he had 80 points in 62 games 29 of those were goals he had 51 assists uh and his rookie season the ushl he had 36 points in 56 games 13 goals 23 assists um, so to go from that to 44 points in 31 games, again, as a first-year NCAA player, not easy to do at all. 14 goals in 31 games is also pretty impressive, too. And all the while averaging assists per game, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what the dynamic is, what the Harvard team looks like th- this year, where he fits in. Um, it It's not a case where Nick Edwards says he has a lot to make the NHL, Um at the same time, though, I do think he is an underrated prospect with an NHL future in some capacity. I don't know if it's going to be in Toronto. I don't know if it's going to be anywhere else. Um, he'll have to play his cards right and just work effortlessly and relentlessly in order to get the Maple Leafs' attention. Because it's even at full strength, it's going to be tough to really separate yourself from the rest of the Leafs roster. Because, like you mentioned, Brett we're looking at guys like Nick Robertson and Semyon Durgachensev on the Leafs. Yeah. And Rodian Amarov hasn't turned pro yet. Once he turns pro right. and people start looking at his game, then that's even worse for Etsy because that's a first-round pick yeah. you're, you're looking at potentially securing top six minutes someday. So there's not much room for error if you're Etsy You pretty much have to do everything right to really make an impact on the Leafs just to get noticed um, so it, th- this year is going to be interesting for him in many ways
1: yeah for sure um, I don't know I feel like I have like a I get to a liking of these types of players of like uh, they they'll probably end up just being depth guys but they could end up uh, being pretty good in the NHL if they're given a chance um, mm-hmm. alright so that's about it for us here at Lace Them Up you can follow us uh, or subscribe to us on uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, iTunes, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at LaceUpPodcast. Um, and you can follow us on or like us on Facebook, although we don't really update our Facebook that often, um, at LaceUp. That's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellison. we we'll talk
0: again in episode 288 of the Lace em Up podcast.